Welcome into AWA Unleashed, the preeminent AWA podcast and a video stream on the internet where we are dedicated to the old American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. I am one of three individuals. We got a lot of fun stuff. We got a lot of stuff to get to today. Um, we're going to be talking about feuds, some of the best feuds in AWA history. And as you know, with the long and storied uh, history that the AWA has, there is no shortage of feuds that we can get to. Uh, just like when we're talking about heels, baby faces, and tag teams, and you know, da 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 da. There's a ton of them that we can get to. So Mick has got ten. George has got ten. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, bring them in right now. And, and guys, it's going to be fun because this is going to be one of those really fast-paced shows that we're going to have to get through quickly because I know there are a lot of them and there are some of them, frankly, I, I know that we're going to miss and that's okay because you can't get everything that the AWA did uh, into uh, just a little under an hour. Uh, let's get all of our plugs out of the way. I want to thank our, our sponsors. First of all, you can see up there in the corner, uh, Lift Bridge Brewery. Uh, they're going to be hosting our very first AWA Unleashed Live. It's a fan-friendly event, uh, Saturday, June 11th at the Lift Bridge Brewery in New Richmond, Wisconsin. Uh, doors at noon, live podcast at 2, wrestling at 3.30. Uh, you can see the link uh, for the tickets. Also get them. Um, we've got the link as well on uh, Slick Mick, uh, Old School Wrestling, Georgeshire Wrestling Time Machine, and uh, the uh, American Wrestling Association, WWA, Facebook pages. Uh, also want to thank Lift Bridge Brewery, uh, not only for that, but also for the, um, I've got root beer today, guys. It's beer everybody can drink. So if you got kids and you want to give them beer, give them root beer. I Good like stuff. the Corvette on it. You like it? Dude, I, I realize these cans are so aesthetically pleasing. Like, they are fantastic right there. So, and and it's good. Like, this stuff is, it's great. You can have it with the uh, root beer floats. You can have it on its own. It's it's so good, you guys. Uh, I like their uh, mini donut cream soda. Personally, that's one of my favorites. But uh, I'm a fiend for things like that. Well, Chris, uh, I know that so you've always been a big fan of uh, aesthetically pleasing cans over the years you pointed oh. out several to me oh i love aesthetically pleasing cans are you kidding me i love yeah. cans of all shapes and sizes you notice i almost died there as i was trying to get that word out it was almost I, I, I was starting to pray you know so uh are, are you did you get tripped up by the cans or the because i know cans i mean they kind of give you your little startled by cans not me i feel comfortable around cans if you don't feel comfortable around cans, that's your problem. I know, George, you like the can, right? You like cans. George likes like, like deep holes, too. I was surprised when you mentioned the root beer floats and the donuts and things that Karch didn't jump out of his chair and head around the corner to the donut shop. All right. Well, you guys talk about donuts and cars, and I'll keep talking about cans, but that's, uh, that's, that's AWA after dark, apparently. Um, also want to thank uh, so, uh, Soda Stick. Because they are the ones that are, have been so awesome about partnering with us, about giving us, and you can see the uh, the logo right there, um, giving us the ability to partner with them for our AWA Unleashed uh, T-shirts that we've got. And again, we've got one-of-a-kind items, you guys, that are coming. That's 
it's so close. We're going to be debuting those in probably a matter of weeks. And I'm so excited because I, I know Soda Stick does a lot of things with a lot of different companies. I got to be honest, they've never done anything uh, for podcasts like they're doing with us. So we are doing something that no other podcast is, is doing, at least that I'm aware of. And not only in the wrestling, but overall. And uh, you guys can get your one-of-a-kind item that's going to be uh, made available uh, very, very shortly. That being said, uh, today mentioned that we are going to talk about feuds. But before that, uh, Mick, let's go ahead and get to last week's trivia question. Last week's question, after that great interview that we did with Dixie Jordan, Princess Little Cloud, the trivia question was, name another lady wrestler in the AWA in the 1970s that used the name Princess. In the 70s, it was very important to get the time frame. Princess Jasmine out of Chicago was the lady that I was referring to. And congratulations to Steve Mueller. He has won some uh, merchandise courtesy of yours truly and our podcast. And good going, Steve. Ah, good job, Steve. So uh, Steve Mueller is our winner. Just a reminder that uh, when you do win, it's kind of like a radio contest where you can only win once every 30 days. Um, and, and because we get so many, well, not we, you guys get so many uh, answers and, and so many uh, submissions that it's just, you could have, say, 50 different correct answers, but it's just drawn at random. And, and I think people need to remember that it just it's just because you email the, the correct answer, it's completely drawn at random. So yep. I think that's one thing to to remember because we get people that want a lot of that uh, want a lot of that stuff. So uh, that being said, guys, let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, we've got a lot here. I, I want to start this thing off first of all. Um, are these more when we're talking about feuds? Are we talking about ones that are more based in real life? Are these ones that are based more on the booking by the promoter? Uh, where, what is the criteria for a, a good feud that you put on your list? Why don't you go ahead and go first, George? Well, one of the things that makes a great feud is, first of all, the guys have to enjoy working together. They have to enjoy working with each other. And that is evident when you see their matches. Red Bastine against Mad Dog Vashon, for example. I never saw a bad match and they enjoyed working with each other. They were friends outside, but in the ring, they were enemies. That's what the formula was, is that they enjoy. But to answer the second part of your question, sometimes two guys that legitimately did not like each other outside the ring, they could get in the ring, put that aside, and make it look even more real because of that distaste for one another. And there are feuds that, you know, over the years we've seen that thought that's a perfect formula. But the bottom line is the guys have to enjoy working with each other and know that the fans will get a good match out of it. And, you know, back in the day, it was all about psychology. It, oh, yeah. it wasn't about how many moves can you get in in the first five minutes of the match and, you know, blow yourself up. Uh, it was about taking everybody on that roller coaster ride of suspension of disbelief for the couple hours you're, you're in the arena or you're watching on television. And it had to be something memorable and long-lasting, uh, not something that would just go for a week or two. So that's what we're talking about in terms of the legendary feud in the AWA. I want to ask you, Mick, what is the difference? Because 
you know, we get into, especially on your Facebook page, there's a lot of old school versus new school. I, I don't like this. I like this. I hate this. You know, it's so much bickering and bitching back and forth. Um, what about the difference in the way that feuds were built then versus now? And why a completely different era on so many levels? Back in the day, a feud would be slow to build for the most part. Every once in a while, they would do something on TV where they would have, you know, an instantaneous uh, match or, uh, you know, within the hour at the Minneapolis Auditorium. But for the most part, it was a slow build. Uh, the heel and the baby faces were clearly defined. And there was a magic to it. And I think what you see today is what they call a lot of hot shotting of angles. In other words, you know, you, you turn on Monday Night Raw and your opening interview goes about 15, 20 minutes and it sets up a tag team match for later in the mm -hmm. evening. Not the way it was back then. They were It was a long-term goal and it was a slow build up and up and up. It's very predictable nowadays when you watch, uh, especially WWE. It, it seems like it's it's very predictable with what you're going to see. Uh, I mean, you can tell what's going to happen in the first segment, and you know, compared to the 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 last segment. Uh, George, you kind of talked about the chemistry. Why was the chemistry so important to a successful feud? You want to entertain the fans, and you want to give them a reason to come back. If they don't come back then you're, you're, you're wasted time. So when we use an example like Red Bastine versus Mad Dog Vashon, they could work so well together. You had a defined, as Mick said, you had a defined hero and a defined heel. And the, they, they needed to make you want to come back. That's just the bottom line. At the end, the, the bad guy has to do something to make you want to come back next week. If they don't do that, they haven't succeeded. Mm -hmm. It isn't about I get my move in, you get your move in. Yeah. No, that's a waste of time. And this idea of setting up a show on Monday Night Raw, you know, taking 20 minutes to set up a main event later in the show. You know what that tells me sitting on my couch? They had a program ready to go tonight and they didn't have anything set. Yeah. And the pieces are so interchangeable. Uh, when I was a kid, one of the things that I loved were like the big gimmick matches right as we're known now like the lumberjacks and the cage matches or last man standing it's like this was the preeminent to find out who was the tougher individual and it used to mean something like those blow-off matches to end the feud you're like i can't wait to see it and now it just it's like oh okay well we got you know 15 matches between you know seth rollins and cody rhodes and then oh guess what we're gonna have a last man standing well, it's not gonna mean anything why, I guess my question for you, George, is why is it, why are they treated so differently now when they meant something back in the day? I had used this term originally in one of our earlier shows that when they promoted a feud for an ongoing time period, the idea was, is that you start at the end of the feud and you go backwards and you find out where you want to go five, six, seven months down the road. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that a lot. I've, I've which heard typically that. would be the blow-off match, as they called it, the cage match, okay. the lumberjack match, the Algerian death match, the Indian strap match. And these matches come about, these conclusions, these blow-offs, because in the cage match, for example, the good guy hasn't been able to get a fair shot because the bad guy's tag team partner and his manager and or both have been interfering in the match. They have hit him from behind. Um, there's been that interference. So I'm finally going to get him inside the cage 
their their parents, nobody can get in. We're going to settle this once and for all. What last man standing? And the fans will then pay to see that blow off match or the Algerian death match that Mad Dog used. You're going to fight Mike on a match, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to finish you. Well, it always helps when the good guy actually wins it. That's great. So you got to have that conclusion. And they do. They start in April and go backwards to October and then build forward with each additional match, adding a little fuel to the fire till finally we can't take it anymore, folks. This is it. No one can get in. No one can get out. There will be a winner and the fans will then pop. Chris, you know, back in the day, there was one lumberjack match a year, one cage match a year, one battle royal a year. A lot of times they held them up for, for holiday events. Now it's just so commonplace. And, you know, and, and then the buildup, you didn't know what the eventual match was going to be. Now you know it's going to be, well, we got the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view next month. We have the uh, the the ladder match. We've got the TLC Everybody knows what is going to headline a particular pay-per-view. Back in the day, it was a surprise, and that added to the mystique of the feuds. And you know what's really interesting? Yeah. What's really interesting is when you talk about Monday Night Raw, there have been episodes where they'll start the program, and lo and behold, there's a cage up above on the ceiling, and there's no card yet. But they have their 20-minute interview, and then all of a sudden, surprise, you're going to have to face each other in a cage. Do you think the fans didn't see it when they came in? Give them a break, would you? Yeah. Part of wrestling is the suspense, and that's losing that reality. It's like you you don't – I don't want to know what's coming up. I want to be surprised. I want to be entertained. I don't want to be able to, uh, to foreshadow everything. All right, we're about a quarter of the way through it. I know we've got oh, a lot of move. things to. Yeah, I, I know, right? We got it's pacing, pacing, pacing. Um, all right, guys. So what we're gonna do here is I'm gonna take myself out of the stream, and what I'm gonna do, if you boys can play nice, uh, you've each got ten feuds, and you guys go back and forth. Uh, I'm I'm gonna play. I am gonna trust you guys to play nice in the sandbox. Uh, I, I know that's a big big ask. Oh, don't give me that look, Shire. You too, Mick. Okay. As we say, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Oh, here we go. You can trust us for about five minutes. Uh, I know I can. All right, uh, George, why don't you go ahead and uh, get your, uh, go ahead and put your first feud up there and we'll let you guys get. I want to talk about one of the legendary feuds that started in the 50s. It lasted through the 60s, and it was by Vern Gagne and hard-boiled Haggerty. And the thing that made this feud so good was because you had the defined differences. You had the, as I say, mom's apple pie, Vern Gagne, good guy. And you had the pompous, arrogant, sarcastic, hard-boiled Haggerty who put himself above others in a Nick Bockwinkle kind of way. And they were unnatural, total opposites. And in the 60s, Haggerty would come out, take a bottle of Jera Speed, slam it on the floor, say, I don't care if it has Vern Gagne's picture on it, I'm going to eat Vern Gagne up. They started here, here's Haggerty reaching for Gagne's title. It was a perfect main event that never had an ending, and it was ongoing. I want to talk about perhaps one of the most legendary AWA feuds of all, and this was after the Crusher turned babyface. 
back in 1965. Of course, prior to that, he was a, a heel, the Crusher and Mad Dog Vashon. Uh, they kind of traded the AWA Heavyweight Championship for a while. The Dog, of course, was a notorious heel at the time. And I said uh, Crusher was a babyface. One of the first real blood feuds in the AWA. And, you know, when, there, there's a dog. And talk about the blood. Uh, Mad Dog, uh, he, he spilled the claret uh, probably more often than uh, just about any wrestler back in the day. Uh, he and Crusher absolutely tore it up, whether it was no disqualification matches, Algerian death matches, whatever. And, of course, eventually, you know, they wound up, you know, on, on the same side of the fence, so to speak. But uh, just just a tremendous blood feud, savage, savage feud between uh, Crusher and Mad Dog Vashon. And there's Crush uh, back in the heyday. And, uh, you know, a lot of fans will remember that WTCN-TV match on television where the dog... Uh, uh, went a little deep uh, when he uh, when he bled and was taken literally to the hospital for some stitches. Uh, that was a crusher feud. So absolutely legendary. Great stuff. Well, you know, one that really stands out for me was Mass Dr. X. For a whole year, they had him battling everybody and anybody. The idea to take the mask off and reveal who this guy is from Parts Unknown. When they brought in Billy Red Lions and had him beat the doc on TV. This was classic promoting because we talked a moment ago how the wrestlers had to enjoy each other in the ring. They had to work together. They had to like each other. Well, we didn't know at the time behind the scenes that they were real life brothers-in-law. And what made it so special was the doc was given Vern Gagne's title for about two weeks. And that was the end of his feud with Vern Gagne. So Gagne is going to take the title back. On the night of the championship match, they have Lions come in as a mystery opponent, unknown on TV, have him beat the Doc with his own figure four leg lock. And then the Doc loses at the auditorium to Vern and loses the title. But they've got that ready-made feud. And they move on, and Doc's got heat. Lions is the big new baby face. Perfect promoting. We've said it before, and that's the way wrestling would draw fans. One of the legendary tag team feuds of all time. And again, this is right when Crusher uh, turned babyface here in the AWA area. He was brought in uh, by Dick the Bruiser. Crusher had been gone for a while. Brought him in to feud with Larry Hennig and Harley Race. There's Crusher and Bruiser back in the day. Uh, I, Back then, it was one of the first legitimate big-time sellouts uh, in terms of attendance for the AWA. From that point on, Crusher and Bruiser were uh, baby faces, big tough guys, you know, way predating the Road Warriors. Um, Larry Hennig and Harley Race, notorious tag team champions. There they are uh, back in the day, and they actually won the title. From the Crusher and Dick the Bruiser, that was a feud that went on a long, long time, both in singles and tag team matches. One of the greatest tag team feuds, if not the greatest, uh, in AWA history. Well, you know, when you talk about tag team feuds, I think one that constantly comes to mind whenever you ask old school wrestling fans my age and a little bit older, they will always remember Doug Gilbert and Dick Steinborn, who were Mr. High and Mr. Low. And the irony of this is that they were a team for only six months. 
but the promoting genius of how they were used. They were billed as baby faces for the first four months that couldn't be beat. They had a menagerie of teams lose to them. They got a title shot with the Nielsen brothers at the time, won the title, but then immediately two weeks later lost it to the Kelmakoff brothers, the hated Russian brothers at the time. The whole thing was a work to get the title to the Kelmakoffs. But because the high and low team were so popular, they could continue to draw for another four months. And Gilbert and Steinborn in different partners, different combinations, six-man tags, it worked. And that feud to this day, when you talk to old school fans, that's the one they remember. And that's what makes a feud memorable when 60 years later, it can still be discussed and remembered. Fantastic. Uh, and one of the great singles feuds legendary in the AWA, it ran from 1970, 71, all the way up to the early 80s, was Nick Bockwinkle and Vern Gagne. And Nick, of course, came in here in the fall of 1970, and he vowed that eventually it was going to be Aloha Vern Gagne. He was going to take the AWA championship. There they are in, in one of their classic matches. Uh, it took Nick about five years uh, before he crashed the nugget, actually almost exactly five years. Uh, November of 1975, uh, Vern trusted Nick with the championship. Um, never any wild battles between these two because they had that scientific wrestling background, but the promoting, the genius behind it, the, the psychology, just fantastic. And behind the scenes, as I said, Vern trusted Nick explicitly to carry the championship. They had a great working relationship. And Bockwinkle and Ganya, certainly among the greatest feuds and, and longest lasting feuds in the AWA. I'm going to follow through since you brought up Vern Ganya. I'm going to bring out this feud. Vern Ganya versus Cowboy Bill Watts. Mm. Now, this was unique because Bill Watts came on the scene in 1967, and he actually became one of our most popular wrestlers of all time. But the way they promoted it was, will he get a chance at Vern Gagne because he's Vern Gagne's friend? He's a good guy, fellow good guy. Is Vern Gagne afraid of him? Can Vern Gagne beat him? This went on for over a year, almost two years, and here comes Bill Watts finally getting his chance. You see the program, Match of the Decade. Now, here was the classic part of it. They had to make you want to come back. So Bill Watts in this match rams, runs into the ring post, bloodies himself up. The referee determines he can't continue. Watts got gypped. They don't just immediately promote a rematch next week. They make you wait and talk until June of the, fall of the same year. And then the talk is, is Vern afraid to face him again? Did the champ escape with the title under faulty pretenses? They had another match. This time, outside interference played in it. Larry Hennig got involved. So Watts got gypped again. Then we had to wait till November. And the story continues. Is Vern afraid of Cowboy Watts? Is Watts better? They have another match. This time again, Watts just for some reason, didn't be, wasn't able to get it done. Now there's one final chance in December. 
And Vern Gagne boldly says, I'm not going to wrestle this guy all the time. He's had three chances. This is his last time. What fans don't know behind the scenes is Bill Watts was leaving. But that six months that they ran this, eight months that they ran this feud, and before that, when talking about whether or not Watts was a worthy challenger, that was one of the classic years in AWA history. And in my opinion, one of Ganya's toughest challengers, one of the best feuds I remember. Going back to the tag teams now, and it was in January of 1972 that Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens won the AWA Tag Team Championship from the Crusher and Red Bastine. And, of course, Red had been uh, teaming up with Hercules Cortez. And uh, Hercules, uh, sadly, tragically, was killed in an auto accident in July of 1971. Red picked the Crusher as his tag team partner. There you see them on the cover of the Wrestling Monthly magazine from back in the day. Went back and forth again, singles matches and tag team matches with uh, Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens. Eventually, Nick and Ray won the championship, much to my delight, uh, as I said, back in 1972 in Denver and went on to become, in my estimation, the greatest tag team of all time. But uh, just a, a great feud. Didn't last all that long in the scheme of things, but nonetheless, tremendous heat, believability, and uh, Bockwinkle, Stevens, Crusher, and Bastine right up near the top in tag team feuds. And the thing about that tag team feud that Mick speaks of is that even after Bastine Crusher lost, Crusher had many different partners to challenge them. And then Red Bastine came back and had some classic matches with them with Billy Robinson as his partner. So it was an ongoing thing. I'm going to go back again to uh, Hennig and Race, but in a different vein. Hennig and Race had their battles with Crusher and Bruiser, as Mick pointed out. But they also had battles with one guy who many times took them on in handicap matches. And I'm talking about the mighty Igor Vodic, or Vodic, however you want to pronounce it. And Igor, along with his mentor partner, Ivan Kelmakov, were longtime fodder for Hennig and Race. But it was Igor that was the star of this feud. The fans loved his antics, his playful antics, his playful nature. And the fact that he could get the best of the Dolly sisters. And Igor would team with Crusher. He would team with Vern Gagne. He would team with Art Thomas. And all the time being a, a headache to Hennig and Race. And the fans couldn't get enough of it. It was a feud that was ongoing. And many times Hennig and Race would lose to him in handicap matches, which that just can't happen, can it? But that's what made this feud so special and made it so endearing to fans who loved Igor and hated Hendig and Race. Perhaps the longest-running AWA feud, both in the ring and behind the scenes, was that between Larry Hennig and Vern Gagne. And, of course, it started out, uh, Larry was a, a babyface. He was trained, brought into the business by Vern and the old storyline, how the, uh, the, the student, there's Vernsky, uh, the student eventually gets tired of his mentor. Larry went to Japan, came back with a rougher style. And from 1963 till, well, let's say 1974, at least in the ring, and then it rekindled in the late 80s when their sons got involved, Larry Hennig and Vern Gagne, legendary. And 
behind the scenes, there was a lot of animosity, most of it on Larry's part. There's uh, Larry Pretty Boy Hennig uh, back in the day. Uh, but I, I think in terms of uh, longevity and feuds that mattered in the AWA where there was real heat, uh, Larry Hennig and Vern Gagne. And as I said, it rekindled uh, back in the late 1980s with Greg and Kurt. But uh, great, great stuff. You know, we're going to go back this time to uh, Dr. X. And, and I, he's my favorite wrestler. So naturally, I'm a little bit biased. But let me tell you this. I mentioned earlier how he had his feud with Lions. And for three years, Dr. X was the man to beat. He was the one heel that any wrestler of any note that came to the AWA on the babyface side would go against Dr. X. What was great is that in 1970, when Dr. X's AWA run was going to come to an end. Now, fans didn't know this behind the scenes, but the doc had given notice that he wanted to take some time off from the AWA. He was going to travel around the world in his other identity as the Destroyer. So Vern put together a series of matches, but true to his word, the doc agreed that he would unmask when it was time for him to leave, and he kept that promise. And it was great when they had him go against a fellow heel at the time, Blackjack Lanza. And Lanza and Heenan double-teamed the doc, turned on him, made him a babyface for that last month or two of his stay in the AWA and the doc agreed to unmask if he could get a match with Jack Lanza. That was unique because everyone else, he didn't want to put the mask on the line. Well, this night he did. And the question in the program is, will he keep his promise? He did. He unmasked, was revealed as Dick Byer on that August card in St. Paul. And then he was gone for a year. But Lanza got the nod and their matches were brutal. One match they had, Doc was carried out covering his face before he agreed to take off his mask. He was all bloodied and he'd been double teamed. Perfect way to build a feud. Going to go back to the tag team ranks for the next feud and really fast forwarding uh, towards the end of the AWA's uh, more successful years. I've talked about this feud before. Uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers against the Midnight Rockers. Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, the Midnight Rockers. I don't have to look over my shoulder anymore. Um, this was a, just a... Mick, 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 you're going to yeah. lose money. Come on now. Well, at, at this point, what's the difference? But uh, <laughs> Rose and Summers had been 15-year veterans or... Uh, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty were basically newcomers to the sport. Uh, Rose and Summers were the ring generals, and they carried Marty and Shawn uh, through the feud. But in terms of intensity and a blood feud, uh, the Midnight Rockers, Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty, and uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers, absolutely tremendous. And again, you're in an era now, in the mid to late 1980s. There's a, a young Sean and Marty. You're in an era where the AWA is just starting to go on the downward trend on the other side of the hill just a little bit. And it was one of the saving graces. And I, I'm telling you, they had a cage match that was absolutely off the charts. 
uh, in Minneapolis. They took the feud all over the country. And I mentioned before, in terms of, of tag team feuds, so underrated, so vastly underrated uh, as a feud. There's uh, Buddy and Doug. And as I said before, Buddy will remind you, he never lost a fall when they were the AWA Tag Team Champions. But just great, great stuff back in the day. Well, while you're on the tag team front, then I'm going to just go in with this one. The Chain Gang, the Dillinger Chain Gang against the Redheads. The Chain Gang being Jack and Frank Dillinger, dirty bicycle Hells Angels type characters who obviously in that era would have been the heels against the baby faces, Billy Red Lions and Red Bastine, the Redheads. Their battles were unique because the fans didn't know that the Vashans were going to win the tag team title from the Crusher and the Bruiser. The idea was is to give them a set of challengers that would make their ongoing feud and being champions possible. So that promoters brought in the Dillingers. And here's the here's the irony folks. The Dillingers had three matches against the Redheads and the Redheads lost all three under controversial situation of course. The fans believed that they got cheated, but nonetheless they lost. And here's why they did. Because when the Redheads would finally beat the Vashans in a TV match before the Vashans got the title. The idea was is that the Vashans would have number one challengers in the Redheads and the Dillinger Chain Gang could have come back and said, we're the number one challengers because we beat them three times. They've never beaten us. That was a feud that got derailed because the Chain Gang had fallen apart through a tragic incident with Frank Dillinger, which we can touch on sometime in detail, but he was no longer on the team. He was unable to wrestle forever. They brought in a brother, Jim Dillinger, didn't quite go over. Vern had some issues behind the scenes, so that feud got derailed. But the Redheads went on to become great contenders to the Vashans. We are moving ahead to the 1980s and talk about legendary feuds in the AWA, especially for this generation. And Chris, about the time uh, that you started watching wrestling closely, Mad Dog Vashon and Jerry Blackwell. And of course, by this time, uh, Mad Dog is a beloved babyface here in the AWA area. Jerry Blackwell, who was originally brought in as a baby face, but it didn't go over at all. They called him Farmer Blackwell. Well, that went nowhere. Uh, there you see Mad Dog and Jerry talk about a series of matches. These two beat the shit out of each other. I mean, two legitimate tough guys. And this is legendary, probably more for Mad Dog Vachon's infamous promo where he's building a casket for Jerry Blackwell to boot because... The, the, the earth mm -hmm. world is not big enough for the two of them. So one of them had to go, and it was Jerry Fatwell, according to the dog, that had to go. But they bloodied each other up. Yeah. Great chemistry. You know, Mick, while you're in the 80s, I guess I'll just stick there for a moment. And one that is memorable to me is Dr. D. David Schultz yeah. against the incredible Hulk Hogan. 
Now, this was a neat, this was a classic feud for 1982-83. The reason being is that, again, you had direct opposites. You had the uh, obnoxious redneck David Schultz, who would come on the interviews and talk about being bigger and better than Hulk Hogan. He talked about Hogan's big head and his big shoes. And he says to Mean Gene, did you ever look at his head, Mean Gene? And Hogan wanting to get rid of Schultz. And then you added Saito into the picture, interfering on Schultz's behalf. They had tag team battles. Then you added in Saito's manager, Hattori, Mr. Hattori. And the three of them had some classic matches, Hogan in handicap matches. That feud was long going for the year or two that it lasted. And we all know that at the end, when Hogan left behind the scenes, he requested that Dr. D come with him to the WWF and they would continue their feud there in AWA cities. But here's that story again about two guys who respected one another and in the ring could put on a card, a show that you wanted to see continue Schultz versus Hogan. Tremendous, tremendous heat. And as George alluded to, what a horrible deal. The AWA basically lost their main event uh, to Vince McMahon back in the day. So it, it was a tough, tough pill to swallow, but a great feud. Uh, Going to go back, backtracking again now to the 1970s. And in my estimation, one of the greatest blood feuds in AWA history. And I'm talking about superstar Billy Graham and Wahoo McDaniel. And arguably, this is the one. Billy Graham had worked. He had a reputation uh, around the country. There's there's the chief, Chief Wahoo McDaniel, one of the toughest wrestlers that ever lived. And that's legit, ladies and gentlemen. This is a tough guy. Uh, superstar Graham, when he came to the AWA and started feuding with Wahoo, I think that is what really made Superstar Graham a legit superstar on the national scene. Um, Indian strap matches that were absolutely brutal. Again, they beat the tar out of each other. Uh, Wahoo with that strap there, Superstar, back in the day in his glory days. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, the Vern Gagne movie, The Wrestler, you see Superstar Graham coming out uh, bloodied after a match with Wahoo McDaniel. Uh, legendary stuff. One of the great, not only in the AWA, I think in wrestling history, one of the great feuds of all time. And I'd agree with you, Mick, and that scene from the wrestler movie where they're in the strap match is classic to this day. You went back to the 70s. Okay, I'm going to go back too, but I'm going to go back a little bit farther to the 60s on this one. And I'm talking about, we talked about Mad Dog Vashon a couple of times. You can't talk about the Vashon uh, heels without talking about Vern Gagne, the babyface. Oh, yeah. Their matches were the epitome of the perfect heel and the perfect babyface. And they had known each other since 1949. Vern brought the dog in. And the dog was as vicious as he could be in those days, scratching the backs, gouging the eyes, stomping on the stomachs, poking people in the eyes. He was such a direct opposite of Vern. And it was rough for fans when Vern would lose his championship to somebody like the dog who bragged about being evil and living in the gutter 
and not caring about the rules. Their battles went on for from 1964 all the way up to 1978, and they they traded the championship. In 1978, the perfect promoting when Vern Gagne needed a partner. We've talked about this in the past against Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson, who didn't care about the rule book. And they had injured Vern's partner, Billy Robinson. He sought out a partner to be equally bad. Who did he choose? The guy he hated, the dog. And the dog didn't want a team with him. And they boasted about this. The fans had to ask, can they trust each other? Can Vern trust the dog? Will they be able to coexist? What promoting and what a way to end a great feud. And they did. They won the championship together. But their 60s battles, their 70s battles, if I name one feud that I en- that endured time and that I enjoyed, that's the one. You know, it's interesting, too, that before Mad Dog won the title, George will remember this, Basically, he was a preliminary guy here, at least in Minneapolis. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's at the top. And October 20, 1964, he wins the championship for Vern. Legendary. And, you know, the dog was one of the few guys when he went to the WWF, when he jumped ship, Vern actually had a very amicable parting of the ways with the dog because they respected each other that much. All right. Speaking of Ganya's. Let's talk about Greg and Jim Brunzel against Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis. And I've mentioned before, back in the 1980s, if you take Hulk Hogan out of the equation in a lot of ways, the feud between the High Flyers and Jesse and Adrian, and there they are in all their glory, this was tremendous. Uh, we talked about the chemistry of Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel over and over again. That, to me, they, they were a magical team. They, it, it was just absolutely meant to be a stellar babyface combination. Jesse Ventura, not the greatest worker in the ring, a little bit on the clumsy side. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Jesse, a tremendous talker. Adrian carried the workload. They sold out the St. Paul Civic Center and arenas all over the country continuously. Anybody that denigrates Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel, go back and look at some of those old uh, tapes on YouTube of their matches with Ventura and Adonis. They were absolutely off the charts. Great stuff for the early 1980s. I'd add, too, with Greg and Jim that you go back and look at their battles with Stevens and Bachwinkle and Lance yeah. and Duncan. You're not going to see better tag team matches against two great teams. Well, you know, I'm going to stick in the 60s. I like being there because this is when life was fun all over. But I'm going to talk about our buddy, the Crusher again. The Crusher had become a babyface, as we well know. And one of his notorious heels was a guy that the Crusher referred to as Fuzzy. And that was the wild bull of the Pampas, Pampero Furpo. This feud was so legendary that they had their proverbial blow-off match in a cage. They had other kinds of matches. The Crusher didn't want to ever let him wrestle again. Because of his dirty tactics, Furpo was suspended from the AWA. One of those infamous suspensions. But guess what, folks? This one was real because they said he's suspended for three years. Well, by three years, you know, nobody ever remembers him, right? 1968 comes along, and Furpo is back. 
He's back for revenge for the guy that put him out of action, the guy that prevented him from being paid and kept him from wrestling matches. He wants the crusher. So they're back. And that program that that, uh, Chris put up, the crusher was doing a gimmick at the time, a takeoff on Sammy Davis Jr.'s Here Come the Judge on Laugh-In. And the crusher was dishing out sledgehammer justice. There you go. He's got the gavel. And there they were again, battling each other. Great feud that lasted for well over six years. And again, one of the legendary ones I remember. Absolutely two great wrestlers that could work together. And outside the ring, they were friends. And of course, Crusher used to claim that uh, Furpo had everything in his hair, snakes and lizards and termites and everything else. That was another reason, you know, Crusher didn't want to get in the ring with him. You know, you'd have to bring Orkin with you to get in the ring. He came out with the the spray gun and wanted to clean the air before he he got in the ring. Uh, That was great stuff. And, of course, Pampero Furpo, of all people, goes on to become a mailman, a postal worker, when he retired, I believe, in New Mexico. So, you know, strange things happen in this world of uh, wrestling. Uh, My last one here is kind of unique because I couldn't pick just one feud. If you look at the history of the AWA and the legendary feuds, there's one name that surfaced over and over again, and that's Bobby the Brain Heenan. So my last feud is Bobby against everybody. You name it, whether it was Crusher, whether it was Vern Gagne, whether it was the High Flyers, whether it was Rick Martell, the list is endless. Everybody that Bobby Heenan got into the ring with, either as a competitor or when he was managing somebody, one of the greatest, greatest entertainers in AWA wrestling history. And again, how do you choose? How can you say that this feud with Bobby Heenan was better than this one? It seemed that they were always one-upping each other. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, I think Bobby Heenan is the greatest overall performer in the history of wrestling as a talker as a manager as a wrestler uh to my knowledge you know uh, the the closest bobby heenan ever came to becoming a baby face was one night when he was managing nick bockwinkle against she cat on lkc and they didn't want bobby to be a baby face they got him out of the ring before the match started otherwise bobby a notorious heel that weasel chant uh, he put over Greg Gagne uh, in that weasel suit match. He also gave uh, claim to fame to another guy who we won't mention here, who probably didn't deserve the acclaim, uh, but Bobby Heenan was willing to work with him. Um, just legendary. Yes, so Bobby Heenan against everybody. And you know, when you say that, Mick, I couldn't agree more because Bobby Heenan was the one wrestler that any wrestler wanted to be in the ring with, allegedly to get revenge. Larry Hennig told me one time, and this this holds true for Bobby. Larry Hennig told me that the secret to being a good heel is that if you can be beat every match and have the fans want to come back and see you beat again, you are the winner. And that, and this is true. That was Bobby Heenan. The fans would love to see him get his ass yep. kicked yep. every single week. And you could, you could put him there every week and you'd have a song. That's a, and he is the best all-time villain ever, probably in wrestling. Yep. 
and, and it seems like one thing with Bobby Heenan, guys, it, it just seems like he embraced that, right? I mean, he fed into people wanting to see him get his ass kicked, and he leaned into it. And I think that's just what made him so good. And so, I mean, he lasted everywhere he went. It, it was the same. But I think when you really talk about everything that he did in the AWA, he was just one of those magical performers. Chris, you know what? I mean, when you when you talk in terms of old school heat, how much yeah. hotter does it get than having a, a fan take a shot at you, you know, from the balcony, literally, uh, you know, a, a fan hit him in the head with a claw hammer. They detested Bobby Heenan. Later on in his career, of course, when he went to the WWF and he kind of became a, a comic book character, it was more the thing to do. You know, you, you love to hate Bobby Heenan. But in his AWA days, nobody got the crowd riled up more than Bobby yeah. legitimately. Bobby used to say that he didn't want friends. He said, friends only want money from you. So he didn't want friends. That's he right. could say so many things that would get under your skin. And, and a lot of times you could laugh. We've talked about this during his interviews. You'd hear a chuckle, the antics that he would pull on an interviewer, things that he would say. And they were classic Bobby Heenan. And if you guys missed our Bobby Heenan episode, we've actually got one uh, back in the archives. Go ahead and, and take a look at it. It was one of our earlier shows. It was just dedicated entirely to, to uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Guys, this has been great. I know we had a lot to get to, and we did it. I thought the pacing was good. Uh, I thought the stories were good. And, um, you know, before we wrap it up, I uh, just want to, again, thank everybody for all of your support. We see everything out there, you guys. We see the comments on YouTube. I see them on Twitter. Uh, we see them on Facebook. Uh, I see the emails. Again, can't get to everything, but... We're trying, so continue to uh, thank you guys for that. Uh, Want to thank as well. You can see up in the corner, uh, you can see uh, Soda Stick. They are the uh, the ones that have given us the opportunity for the AWA Unleashed T-shirts. Which, uh, if you bought one, and uh, you've got to go ahead and rock it. If you want to rock it to our show on June 11th uh, at the Lip Bridge Brewery, uh, we're going to be out there Saturday, June 11th before the Midwest all-star wrestling card um doors open at noon uh show's gonna start at two we got some giveaways we got some fun we just just a lot of bullshit a lot of shenanigans just we're just gonna have a good time because this is a show it's it's fan friendly so come out and say hi um let's see uh, oh when it comes to uh soda stick as well i want to tell you we've got a one-of-a-kind item that's going to be coming down the way i think you guys are uh are really gonna like it and have I missed anything yet, guys, before we get to the trivia and the shout-out? I don't think I've missed anything, have I? I, I just want to ask you a question. The, that Soda Stick logo above Shire's head? is, yes, is that, that one right there. Yeah, is, is there something, is there like a wire cutter or something where we can have that drop right on his noggin? Because I didn't appreciate that donut and root beer crack from about a half an hour ago. Well, the truth always hurts, so. Never mind. Greatest Thanks, feuds man. show, you know, folks. We left off the most. You see my cans? One. There he is. There he is again. Can, 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 cans make us happy. Cans make us happy. Why do you get stuff and we don't? They like him better than us. Plus, he's getting that big seven figure salary. There's something wrong with the picture. <laughs> 
Oh boy. No denial. Are uh, we going to do trivia okay. tubs or what? Uh, it, uh, yeah, let's uh, go ahead and uh, do trivia and shout out, guys. And uh, with all the internet connection issues, I guess I probably shouldn't bullshit about that. Um, <laughs> Comcast. Story unto itself. Yeah. Comcast, yes, let's talk about Comcast. No, let's uh, not. Um, all right, let's uh, get to the uh, trivia question here, Mick, because uh, I know you've got a new one and I uh, want to give some stuff away. 1970s, there's an incident on television. There had been an ongoing feud uh, between a wrestler and his adversary, and promoter Wally Carbo wanted to make sure that this, the heel wrestler, was going to appear uh, for the upcoming match. So he had him put down a disciplinary guarantee bond of $10,000 that he would appear against this opponent. And the way he paid the appearance bond by was by pouring buckets of change in Wally Carbo's outstretched hands. He told Wally, put your hands out. I got your fee here. I got your deposit. And he proceeded to pour <laughs> one after another. And Wally stood there with his hands open. I want to know who is the guy that paid that $10,000 bond to uh, to Wally Carbo as all the coins dropped all over the floor <laughs> there. And, you know, the, yeah. the security guards came in and Brinks and whoever else. But Wally stood there dutifully <laughs> and, and waited for the coins, waited for the coins to drop. Uh, so if you know it, uh, email Mick at MickCart at gmail.com, GeorgiaGSHire at Comcast.net. What's that, Mick? I said, give me the money or you're never going to wrestle here. <laughs> That's the way I want to pay my Comcast bill. <laughs> Put out your big fat hands, you vultures, and take this. Stop it. Stop it. <coughs> All right. Let's uh let's get to the shout-outs here, guys. Oh my god. This is this is classic. I love it. Uh let's get to the uh shout-outs. Let's see who I've got. Uh Mick, you're first. My first is to a good friend of mine, Kevin Quinamon. And I've known Kevin literally since the time he was just a little guy. Uh, he's been a mainstay at the Twin Cities wrestling matches. He and his mom, his family, for years and years. He is beloved by the wrestlers. I re and we're going back to the days of George's and Fridley. Sean Waltman absolutely basically adopted him. Kevin has had a very tough go of it. He has had dozens of surgeries. He was born with spina, spina bifida, but he endures it all. And he is always there. Just a great kid, great personality, and uh, just quit running me over with your wheelchair there, Kevin. But uh, Kevin Quinamon, hats off to you, buddy. All right. Uh, what say you, George? Well, I have to give a shout-out to uh, my friend Alan Medina. You know, every time you drop the show, Chris, on Tuesdays, I swear it's probably only about 45 minutes later I get the email from Alan, and he's always so complimentary. He's always so appreciative that we take the time to do this show, that we share the memories, and it's a great show. He's never said one negative thing about anything that we've done, who we've had on the show, or what we have or haven't done. And just an all-around great guy. 
I know he's in his 50s. He remembers some of the old stuff. He admits to watching some of the new stuff. But bonafide old school fan who has been with us, and he's proud to say from episode one. So, Alan Medina, thank you, buddy. Keep listening. As they say, the best is yet to come. And uh, I'm going to go to uh, Tim Matfield uh, at TJ Matt F on Twitter. Uh, supports us there. Uh, always some great feedback. And uh, he mentioned one time, uh, Mick, I believe it was uh, your comment, uh, Parts Unknown at the corner of Kayfabe and Broadway. So oh, yeah. uh, he said he had never heard that before <laughs> and uh, loves the line and uh, always gives us some uh, great feedback. So uh, there you go, guys. Um, shout outs for this week. And what are we going to talk about next week? I guess we haven't even decided that. Have we decided, are we just going to kind of figure that out this week? We'll, we'll do what we always do. We'll fly by the seat of our pants and figure something out. I'm for that. We do well okay. that way. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, Chris, if, uh, I got, if you guys don't have Chris, any things to do here, I, I got to have a, a, a donut and some root beer. And then I'm going to go on TripAdvisor and give Comcast a five-star rating. So I, I got my morning ahead of me. Wow. All right. You guys do that. Uh, I'm going to go spend some time with my cans. <laughs> <laughs>